Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. If you have your Bibles, grab, uh, grab your Bibles or whatever how you go into the Word and uh, let's go to Acts chapter 2. We all know what that's about. <clears throat> Most of us do. My wife and I... Um, we, we pastored one church. We started it in our living room in February of 83, and it was our dream. We had a three-part dream. Our dream at that time, and I have to say I was young enough, I didn't really fully uh, understand the power of dreams, but we had a crystallized dream that we wanted to pastor one church for a lifetime. We wanted to start a church from scratch. And then we wanted to use what we learned in our old age to help other churches and other pastors. And uh, on uh, February 3rd, uh, 2019, we completed exactly 36 years in one church. And we got to take a journey that a lot of people just never get to experience. And we got to see what God can do if you'll just uh, let him ignite you with a dream. And so I'm going to talk to you this morning about the power of a God-breathed dream. It's not my intent today to be funny. A lot of times people expect me to be funny, but I feel like there's a seriousness in this place. If the spirit of foolishness takes over later, that'll be okay. I know you guys were expecting a tall, dark, and handsome guy, but you get a little short, stocky, handsome guy today, okay? Acts chapter two, and in a in a in a few minutes, we're gonna we're gonna also go over to Acts chapter ten. But I want to talk to you about the power of a God breathed, and that needs to be in quotes. A God breathed dream, because there, and we'll talk about this. There is a difference between a, a fantasy, a man made dream, and a and and the kind of dream that God gives. But I wonder, uh, and we're going to start with Acts chapter 2, and I'll get to the text here in a minute. But I wonder if we might have overlooked something about this Pentecostal experience that took place on the day of Pentecost. That was the day that the New Testament church was birthed into existence. Most of us know the things that took place there. This morning, I'm going to share some things that for many years, probably 20 plus, maybe even longer years, I I grew up in Pentecost. My mom and dad lived in Mecca. For those that you don't know, that's Cleveland, Tennessee. (laughs) Y'all missed that one. But we, you know, I mean, uh, when I was five, they sold their five bedroom home, three bath and hit the road evangelizing. And we never had a house that big after that. But I grew up on the road in the back seat of a 55 Buick going from revival to revival, and they were Pentecostal churches, a lot of them, most of them Church of God churches. And, and I thank God for my heritage. Uh, some people say, well, you know, you didn't get this, and you didn't get I Listen, I, I thank God for my journey, the, the, uh, growing up in a, in a family who were passionate about sharing the gospel with those that hadn't tasted one slice of the bread of life yet. And uh, and so, you know, I've been in all kinds of small Pentecostal churches and heard uh, heard the Acts chapter two story so many times. But a few years ago, our church had to we had to go through a uh, transition, a relocation. 
And this is in Los Angeles, and we were in the city of Cerritos. Uh, years later, our church, we moved to the city of Downey, for those of you that are familiar. And it was a long journey. It's a tough, Los Angeles isn't Sevierville. Can you say amen to that? And uh, uh, so, you know, going through that process of where we were, had to see God do miracles, or else we would, we would uh, die in the process. Uh, the Lord showed me a couple of things that I'm, I'm going to share with you out of the book of Acts. And I just want to say right up front, uh, Pastor Tom uh, Sturbins is the theologian in this house. He is the, he, he's, how many know he's, he's the top Tomodachi right here, right? So anything that I say, he, he may want to come in and, and straighten it out later, all right? Uh, I, I, we sit on the front porch and drink coffee and I say, I'm not a theologian. He'll say, I'm not either, but I'm telling you, Pastor Tom knows the Greek word for peanut butter. <laughs> I'm telling you, you know, you'd be talking about horseshoes and you know, the Hebrew word for, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, eh? <laughs> um, and so he can, he, everything that I say today will be subject to him. In Acts chapter two, we have the story and you know, uh, most of it. The, you know, Jesus had said to 500, go and tarry. Uh, 120 of them went. I always wonder about the other 380 that missed the boat. But here they are in the upper room. The Holy Ghost comes in, a rushing mighty wind. They begin to speak in tongues. It's noised abroad. People come from everywhere. Uh, it's a fascinating, just a super exciting uh, thing that's taking place. And and, uh, you know, a lot of people liked it. Other people were inquisitive. And then there were others that's uh, making fun of them. They, you know, they're just, and by the way, any revival we've had since, those three groups have always been there. There's those that are hungry, inquiring. There's those that already had hit them. And there's others that are going to run it down and make fun of it. So who cares, right? It let the Lord bring a revival. All three of those groups will be there. But on that day, somebody made the comment that they're drunk. You know, they're, I'm going to tell you, if, you, if I hear you speak in a language you've never studied and you speak to me fluently in that language, I'm not going to think you're drunk. I'm going to think something supernatural happened. Wouldn't you say amen to that? And, and so, you know, so uh, here, here's where we pick up the story in verse 17, uh, verse four, uh, 14. Uh, they made the accusation, now nah, they're nuts, they're drunk. And Peter gets up in verse 14, and standing up with the eleven, he raised his voice and he said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And that is uh, he's re referring back to uh, Joel, prophet Joel in the book of Joel, uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 28. And so he begins to quote. Now, a couple observations is, uh, I want to just say right up front, how many realize that God has secrets? If you talk to me, I won't get nervous. If you don't talk to me, I get nervous. I panic. And when I panic, I just go back to the beginning and start all over again. So how many, how many understand that God knows things that we don't know? Well, those, you know, what they say, a secret is something you tell everybody one at a time, you know. But how many know that God knows some things that we aren't dialed into yet? And so here the Lord is moving. 
And, uh, uh, you know, I guess, you know, if you need a scripture in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar to, uh, uh, you know, he's killing all uh, of his soothsayers and his uh, fortune tellers because they couldn't tell him the interpretation to his dream. And Daniel says, there is a God in heaven who knows secrets, who reveals secrets. And that got a hold of me. I looked in that. I saw 38 times in the New Testament the word reveal is mentioned just in the, in, in, in the New Testament alone. That we are, when we live our life, we have to realize that we have limited insight and we need a download from the Holy Spirit at times to know what is. How many know that in this world sometimes what is ain't always what is? It's a real good place to say amen right there. What is ain't always what is. And so if you look in the scriptures, you'll find different passages that says that God is thinking something that I haven't dialed into yet, that I have not, that I'm not thinking. So let me just say this to you. Whatever you're thinking this morning, God is thinking something much bigger. Y'all, y'all, y'all tough crowd today. Uh, whatever you're thinking about your life, about your ministry, about whatever, I'm going to tell you, you have a God in heaven that's thinking something much larger for you. Amen? Uh, and that ought to get you excited because uh, if we can just kind of tune in and find out what that is, maybe we can start moving towards its fulfillment. So I'm going to give you, in a few minutes, a biblical example of how God downloads uh, dreams and visions into our life. But as we look into this passage, and we stop with, uh, uh, we stop with verse 16 on purpose. As he said, this is that which was mentioned back there in Joel 2.28. In, and, and so we kind of, ha- and he begins to quote it. And, and, and we go back to Joel 2.28, and we realize that he he quotes it verbatim pretty much, and he says, and here's the way the prophecy came forward hundreds of years ago. It shall come to pass. Everybody got your Bible open to this right now? Get, get your pencil or ever how you mark things up. I think this is a nugget. It said, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now get ready, because there's six categories of people that he specifically mentions both here and also in, in, in the book of Joel. It says, uh, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I grew up thinking that meant only uh, the, well, we'll call them the Pentecostal distinctives or speaking in tongues or praying, you know, healing and uh, supernatural uh, gifts of the spirit. And it does. It does encompass that. But maybe we miss something that's even really much larger. Let's go on. He says, your sons and your daughters. There's one and there's two. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. That's three. Your old men shall dream dreams. That's four. Now, and he goes on to say in verse 18, and on my man manservants... And on my maidservants. So that's number five and number six. He said, I will pour out my spirit on these days. Now let me ask you a question. Who's saying this? Who was it that stood up among the other disciples and begins to speak like this? Come on, who's, who's talking? It was Peter, right? Have you ever studied the life of Peter? 
Peter, Peter was one of those guys that if you ask a question, he's like, ooh, ooh, I got it, I got it. And everything he ever said except for uh, Matthew 16 uh, was wrong. He, he always answered Jesus, but he always got it wrong. You ever know anybody like that? They enter the room mouth first? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so here's Peter. What else do we know about Peter? It, what we know is that he committed a sin that probably most of us have never even come close to. When he, when he abandoned the Lord Jesus and he denied him and, 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 he, and, and, and he ran and he hid and he grieved over what he had done. Uh, he failed in a way that you can't even imagine. And yet now here we are. How many remember when Jesus got Peter on board and at, at the beginning? Here's what Jesus said. If you will follow me, I will make you what? Fishers of men, right? And then Peter has this miserable failure, like many of us may have uh, have to deal with in our past or present. And, 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 and in Peter's mind, then that promise is negated. It's over. It ain't happening. I'm never going to be what Jesus said I was going to be. I blew it. You ever, you ever have those thoughts fly through your head? And, and, but, you know, it's like the Lord, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, He looks at the, the eleven... Judas was off doing business. He looks at the 11 and he said, now, which one do I want to use? It's almost like the Lord said, you know what, Peter? We got some unfinished business here. I told you I was going to make you a fishers of men. Now it's you. And he taps him on the shoulder. Peter stands up under the anointing of the Holy Ghost in a way that had never been seen on planet Earth up until this day. And he begins to quote. I don't know if he memorized it. He was a fisherman, wasn't he? Isn't that what he did for a living? He was a fisherman. So we'll go back to the six categories. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And he, his sons, daughters, men servants, men servants, maid servants, old men. You know, here's the common denominator with all six of them. They were nobodies. They were low on the totem pole. They weren't, ex nothing good was expected to come out of them. They hadn't been to Bible school. They hadn't attended seminary. They weren't PhDs. They didn't have degrees. Maybe what God is saying is that there was a time when the gospel, when the kingdom was in the hands of the professionals, but when the Holy Ghost gets poured out on you on the day of Pentecost, it's going to move to the pews. Can somebody say amen? And now, now it's under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, you can do things that you never would have done before, and God doesn't just call the qualified, He qualifies the called. Can you say amen? And so maybe we missed something here that God was going to give dreams and visions to the little guy. Amen, Pastor Don, right there. So both Joel and Acts itemizes six different kinds of little people. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26 says, for you see your calling, brethren, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. How, how many realize that you cannot eliminate yourself from being used supernaturally by God? God wants to use every one of us. There's treasure in the pews. Can you say amen? Well, and then how does he do that? I do. I, obviously, there's shaping that goes play, uh, goes on. If we're going to be used of God in ministry, we don't want to hurt the master. We don't want to hurt people. So we need to uh, 
be shaped and we need to be disciplined and we need to get ready for all of that. We don't just go out like a, uh, you know, like, like a wild man uh, uh, doing damage. We need training. We need shape. But in the process, God wants to use every one of us. Amen. And the way he does that is he reveals what he's thinking to you and I. Have you, has it ever occurred to you how common it was in Scripture for people to be uh, to to have conversations with uh, angels and you know like you know you ever thought about how many times God spoke to people in dreams and then we kind of wonder why isn't that going on today now. I have an opinion about that. I think that we have so amped up the noise in our lives. Come on, somebody say amen. That we don't have one blessing. Get in your car and watch. The first thing you will do after you're driving down the road is reach over and turn somebody else's opinion on. Yeah. I know there's amens going on out there. I just can't hear them up here. I remember when the Lord first started dealing with me about calming down, you know, stop the gyros, get some quiet time where the discipline of solitude, the discipline of silence, get that going in your life so that you can hear the voice of God speaking. If, if there's other noises coming in my, you know, they say in LA, I read this thing, 3,000 commercial messages a day is the average coming at you. Like, it's like a machine gun. People want to sell you something, tell you something, manipulate your thoughts, your ideas, control your every, every moment of your mind. And, and, but in the Bible days, it was a little quieter. You know, they had long walks from here to there. Amen. And, and they had times, they didn't have DVDs, CDs, MP3s, BVDs. I didn't have all that. It just, just had downtime. And, but it occurred to me that how normal it was in the Old Testament and the New Testament for God to speak to people in dreams. And I want to... I want to tell you, this is going on in my walk with the Lord at the time that we had sold our church and we moved into a hotel and we've been into a hotel for a few years. There's no land for sale. We've looked for three years for three and a half years for three acres of land. Everything's built and finally found uh, 2.7 acres for $3 million. This is 15 years ago. Uh, and it still had a 17-year lease on it. It still had a contaminated building on it that had to be hazmatted and destroyed and recycled. And, and before it was over, you know, after about four years, we had uh, 2.7 acres of dirt for about $3.5 million. Congregation was uh, about the size, we were around 300, 350 at that time on a Sunday morning. Um, probably four or 500 that was called at their church. Uh, and, and so we're in the middle of this transition and I was like almost in a fetal position because I felt like I had sold our church, but we couldn't get to the other side. It's just impossible. I ran ads in every paper in Southern California. I had a hundred commercial realtors looking for us. All I wanted was three acres that we could afford to build a church on. Doesn't that sound wild, you guys? Aren't you glad you don't live there? <laughs> I'm glad I don't live there. Um, and so I'm on the floor in the living room, just, I, 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 I remember telling the Lord, I said, Lord, I can lose for me, but I just can't stand the pain of losing the people's church. 
And let me tell you why, why we did it. We had, uh, we had a school of about 74 students, and we had a preschool of about 95 students. And we had around 300 to 400 uh, on a Sunday morning on one acre, one acre. And we parked our people at the high school. We had a shuttle bus like you do at the airport. And for three years, we would pick them up at the high school, drive them over to the church, set them off. After church, you have to line up. We'll come and pick you up, take you back to the high school where your car is parked. We did that for three years. How many think we needed to make a move? Amen. And I knew that the kingdom of God couldn't go any further under these circumstances. And so we sold our church and we went into a hotel. We met in, we met in theaters, uh, Masonic Lodge, uh, empty parks. Uh, we met in the hometown buffet twice. I thought they'd like it. We're bringing 300 people to eat in their restaurant. They said we ate too much and stayed too long. They didn't want us back the third time. But we but here I am on the floor struggling with all of this and the Lord began to show me the power of a dream. The power of a dream. I'm going to tell you something. The, the man doesn't drive the dream. The dream drives the man. I, I wish I had time to talk about Joseph. He's the dreamer in Scripture. But God was thinking something way bigger than what I, what I was thinking. And I didn't have any clue what he was thinking. But I have since learned that if we will get still before the Lord, and by the way, you guys, this, is, this applies for kingdom business, but I believe it applies for personal lives as well, individually and corporately. And here's why. If the church is full of successful people who are happy, who are taken care of, who are, are not hanging on by a thread every week, the church is going to be a much more uh, fruitful. Can you say Amen. How many realize that our function is not, a, we're not a four-wheel drive pulling people out of the mud every week? Yeah? No, we got to have enough of the Holy Ghost to get over and above just sustaining ourselves where we're in a place of victory where we can share that victory with the people that we come in contact with. Amen? And so uh, God was thinking something at that time for Desert Rain, and that's spelled R-E-I-G-N, Desert Rain Assembly of God. Uh, no one, uh, that I hadn't thought yet. And I don't have time today to tell you uh, the details. I could tell you, you, take me to lunch and pay for it, I'll tell you all kinds of stories, all right? Uh, long story short, nine years later, we went into a brand new campus, and we went. The day we went in, our church was half the size it had been because nine years wore everybody out. Uh, our payment was uh, twenty-seven thousand a month, interest only. We had about two hundred people, kids and all. Never was late on a payment. Never was late on a payment. Today they're prospering. Today they're one of the, if not the, lampstand church in the city. God is using them. They have uh, every week they have lines, just blocks all the way around the church for different reasons, and and it's amazing what God did. But but we had to have a dream first. It had to, you know. People will say if you can see it, you can achieve it. I don't agree with that. I know people that's had all kinds of fantasies. I, I remember a few weeks ago, my wife standing in line to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> Can we do this? Raise your hand if you bought a lottery ticket when it was real big, okay? We're not going to condemn you. Uh, that's called a fantasy. 
I was telling her, you know, if you win, it's going to ruin your life. Isn't that what they tell you? It'll destroy your life, right? I was telling God, hey, you know, try me. I think I can handle it, you know. <laughs> well, obviously, he didn't feel like I could. Uh, but if we had a wooden lottery, she would have come home and said, pack your bags. And, and, and I would say, well, you, we're going to do cold weather or hot weather? And she'd say, I don't, I don't care. Just pack your bags. I want you out of here. <laughs> no, we've been married 48 and a half years. She can't get rid of me. Okay, I got to move fast. God is thinking something that we're not thinking. And his thoughts, uh, let's, go over to, uh, let's go over to Acts chapter 10. I'll show you how this works, okay? In Acts chapter 10, we'll pick it up around hmm, verse 10, I guess, something like that. Now, Acts chapter 10 set the scene. God has miraculously brought Apostle Peter together. He is a Jew, obviously. He is filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And he brings him in contact with a Gentile named uh, a centurion, uh, man, uh, Cornelius. And, uh, you know, he's a good man, uh, but he's not, he's not, he hasn't been included in the plan of salvation yet because he's a Gentile. And at that moment, everybody believed that what happened on the day of Pentecost was for the Jews only. And so God miraculously sets it up where they come together. And I don't have time to, to, to tell that story. But so they come together and Peter is finally in the presence. And I want to show you this in verse 28 first. J Peter said to them, you know how it is unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, how did this happen? If we know the story, Peter goes into the town where Cornelius is, and he goes to the house where he's supposed to stay. And this is in the next few verses. He goes to the house where he's supposed to stay, and, and dinner is not ready yet. And so the scripture says that he would go up to the top of the house, uh, up on the rooftop is how they did it, uh, to pray. Um, Let's see if I can find that. Um, okay, in verse 9, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, this is Acts chapter 10, Peter went up to the housetop to pray. How, how many know God cares about what you do when dinner is late? Anybody complain when it ain't ready yet on time? You ever have to stand in line at the, uh, the restaurant? What Peter did is he took, uh, he took advantage of that delay and went up on the rooftop and basically said, I'm going to check in and see what God is thinking. So he went up there to pray in verse 10 and he became very hungry and he wanted to eat. But while he was getting, while they were getting ready, he fell into a trance. Another word for uh, a, a dream or a vision. And, and he saw heaven open up and an object like a great sheet came, came, with four corners bound came descending to him. And let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals. These are all things that the Jews don't partake in, touch, eat, or whatever. And uh, uh, animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And the voice came from heaven three times, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Peter's response to that was, no way, Jose. Ain't gonna do it. And I ain't, I ain't touching that stuff. Why? Because I'm a good God-fearing Jew. Jews don't do this. He's already violating things because he's in the Gentiles' house. He's not supposed to be there according to their customs. 
But here's a perfect situation, and I'll walk you through this real fast, where God is wanting to do something that none of us or none of them are dialed into. So we see in this um, that God is thinking that this gospel message of salvation, the plan of redemption, it's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. The Jews are thinking, no, this is for us. We're special, God's chosen people. And so the people aren't thinking anything on the right track, but God has a bigger thought than they do. And, and now he's got a, 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 there is a need that he's got to find the man to give the dream to who will run with that dream until it comes to fruition. So here's the steps. Number one, God is thinking something no one else is thinking. That, you guys, was the beginning of a racially integrated church. How many agree that God doesn't see color? He doesn't see style. He doesn't see languages. He just sees people that he's crazy in love with. Can you say amen? I don't care if you're blind in one eye, slobber and drag one leg. God still loves you. Amen. <laughs> There's a graphic picture. So first, he's thinking something no one's thinking. Second step is his thoughts are shared with the dreamer. Here's Peter just checking in, and all of a sudden, here comes this vision. And it's a vision that Peter doesn't want to embrace. And it comes down three times. Look at the third step. Sometimes the, the dream can be intimidating. I want to tell you something. I don't believe that if you can see it, you can achieve it. But I will tell you this. If you can't see it, you will never achieve it. just doesn't work that way. How are we doing with time? Is it already? Okay. One more hour, y'all. I'll have you out of here. Have you ever thought about everything in existence has to be created twice? The chair you're sitting in today. How many thank God for four or five inches of nice foam rubber padding? Come on, say amen. Somewhere years ago, some guy was sitting in church on a hard oak bench with no padding. And the preacher was going forever. And his Ramakamahamashe is getting numb. And, and he says, you know, all of a sudden, he, he starts seeing something that doesn't exist. I, I think I could add some foam rubber to this bench and survive this message next week. Everything that's built has to be seen first in our minds, in our spirit, and then we build it with our lives. That church would have never been an integrated church with Gentiles and Jews worshiping Jesus together if it wouldn't left up to just the men of the day to see that. So God had a responsibility that he had to first show it to someone and let them see it. So Peter's response was, this is scary. In fact, you, if you look in chapter 11, in chapter 10, Peter is saying, no, no, if I do this, if I, you know, if I do this with the Gentiles, my brothers who are Jews are going to, they're going to, uh, they're not going to like it. And if you look in chapter 11, sure enough, when he gets back to his people, they get on his case because he shared the gospel with the Gentiles. But see, we have something here where God has a big dream that encompasses the Gentiles, but the Jews can't see it. So he finds the dreamer and he drops the dream into the dreamer's uh, spirit. And, and, and then the, the, the dreamer shrinks back a little bit. Listen, uh, some of you guys are not designed to work by the hour. You are designed to have your own business. You are designed to own your own whatever. 
uh, but the devil will come and sell you short. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you, I, I know how this works. And so God gives the dream to the dreamer, and the dreamer gets intimidated by it. And Peter says, not so, I ain't doing that. I'm not going down that road. And then in verse 15, the voice comes back to him again the second time. And then the third time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was verse 16 done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven after that. In other words, in the fourth step, what we see is that God said, okay, I've shared with you the dream now. Now it's going to be a accept it or reject it decision on your part. What we did in California, one of the challenges is how do we share what God did without sounding arrogant or like we're bragging or something like that? That really is the problem. And I'm going to tell you something. If God would have told me in advance what we were going to do and how, how you know, what the road we were going to go down, I would have run, I'd have put my resignation in in Hobart, Oklahoma or something for another church. I would have been scared the bejeebers out of me. But God didn't do that. All he showed me was the vision. What the vision. All I could do is aim towards the vision. And after we'd come to a hurdle, God would take care of the hurdle. The Lord has put a vision in people's hearts and minds in this house. There's a vision for this house. It's bigger than we are. And God shows it to the set man. And when he shows it to the set man, he has to own it or reject it. And once he owns it or rejects it, the dream gets owned or disowned, and, and, and then it's buy-in time from that point on. And then the last thing we see in this uh, event that took place is the dream is carried to fruition all the way to where God miraculously uh, performs. And you know, how many know in the end it's God that does it? Yeah? In the end, it's the Lord that does it. You might think you want the four corners of the field, but God wants you to have the whole farm. That's the way it works in the Bible. Abraham wasn't asking God for land. He was contented just taking care of his father's uh, property. But God tapped him on the shoulder supernaturally and dropped it into him. So I have a place for you. All, all Abram had to do was buy in or reject. And so he chose to buy in and he vacated as the Lord had directed. And God took his people into the promised land. All through scripture, we see God breathe dreams. In Isaiah chapter 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. A dream versus a fantasy. A fantasy, I, I remember I used to speak every year up in uh, Idaho, McCall, Idaho. And uh, one year I'd go up there and this uh, guy would come up to me and say, I'm going to be a missionary in the Philippines. And next year I'd go up there, yeah, we're going to be missionaries in the Philippines. And third or fourth year, yeah, we're going to be missionary in the Philippines. i say, well, have you learned the language? No. Uh, have you visited the country to see what the challenges are? No. I and, and uh, y'all forgive me, but I said, I got to ask you, have you even crossed the street to win people across the road to the Lord? And he said, well, no, we haven't talked to them either. I said, well, you're not going to the Philippines. Why? How many know we are co-partners? We're co-workers. We're co-creators with God. Come on, say amen. We are there. He won't do it without us. We can't do it without Him. But boy, when we team up together, 
It's amazing what God can do through an individual. And so in the day of Pentecost, he said, here's what's going on here. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon six unqualified categories of people. That wasn't all encompassing. There, basically, what he was saying is this is for everybody. Didn't he say it this way? For all flesh. And if you struggle with the flesh, thank God, because the Holy Spirit gets poured out on, our, on us. Amen? So the fantasy is people in line trying to buy a lottery ticket and making plans for their new yacht. But a dream, a God-breathed dream is not conjured up, it's dropped in. If we will get still before the Lord, He will give us a dream for your ministry, for your children. Uh, if you've got grandchildren, He'll give you a dream. You know, God is able to say to you, here's what I want your child to be or to become. And, and they will follow that path. It works that way. I, I've shared this before, but I got, I'm going to end with this. Jeremiah 33.3, here's what he says. He says, if you will ask me, I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. They're not flimsy things. They're not cheap things. They're not, you know, other people may want to squash your dreams and all that. But God said, I will show you great and mighty things. You don't see them, you don't know about it, but I, if you will ask me, I will drop them in your life. I'm going to end it this way. You know, every great thing you do for God will be impossible when you first dream it. it what D.L. Moody said, if God is in your dreams, then dream big dreams. Every great thing you do for God will be impossible when you first dream it. That's why the Lord had to let it come down three times and then take it up and wait. Peter had to have some time to process. This is big. But I serve a God who says, don't get hung up on the former things because I'm the kind of God that does new things. I don't believe that God gave us this house with this capacity without having a desire in his own heart to see it full. Can you say amen to that? Come on, you guys, say amen to that. These seats weren't here just so you could have a variety of places to sit every week. I learned in our nine-year journey, just the end of our story is... We did about $11 million transition into a new campus. We had a school now. We got a school campus along the way, 260 kids. And the church isn't measured by how many people that come in. It's measured by how many people it sends out. I would have never dreamed... I would have never dreamed that God could do those kind of things. I look back and I still can't even figure out how He did it. But He did it. Today, there's no substantial debt. We went in 2009 and God took care of the rest. How many know that if you'll get out in front of the giant, the Lord will take care of directing the stone? Amen.
But if we would have shrunk back and said, this ain't for me. I'm too afraid of failing. I'm too afraid of losing. If we would have shrunk back, we wouldn't have got to see the great things that God did and is still doing in a church where my wife and I spent our life. We're still a part of it. I'm still on the board. I still talk with the pastor almost every week. And I rejoice at what's going on. But God did it. Halfway through, when it became really impossible, God gave me something I want to share with you. And it became our mantra, and it's just like this. I said, every great thing you do for God has three stages to it. First, it's impossible. And second, it's difficult. And then lastly, it's finished. Can you say amen? After nine-year journey of being nomadic, you could worship with us if you could find us. We went in our new building. My first words out of my mouth, as loud as I could yell it, is first it's impossible, then it's difficult, and then last, it's finished. How many know the Lord's promise is, He that has begun a good work in you will perform it until it's finished. Isn't that a promise from God? Why don't you stand with me? I've asked the Lord, I didn't know till yesterday that I was going to be speaking, and I asked the Lord today that He would let me share something that would make a difference in somebody's life. If you would, just bow your heads for a minute. There's potential business people here. There are people that you felt the tug of ministry, but you've shrunk back from it, intimidated, inadequate. Not my, I'm not, you know, I'd never, listen, you're looking at a guy who was so timid, he couldn't even look you in the, in the eye in my younger years. I would have never dreamed what God could do. But there's ministry in these pews that's not yet come forth in full bloom. And then some of you are designed to, for business. If you're successful in business and you have the spirit of generosity, that's how God underwrites ministry. He doesn't go poof, there it is, and there's a pile of money at the altar. He causes good people with good hearts to be successful. And he puts it in one end and it blows out the other end. And the kingdom gets expanded. And there's people here today that you've had it brewing inside of you like a hen sitting on her eggs. It's not hatched yet, but it's been sitting inside of you. Should I, shouldn't I? And I'm, I, today we're going to pray that God will ignite it. Just let that spark ignite the explosion, Father God. Lord, we thank you today that you are a big God. You are a God who stood in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 and looked at total chaos and you spoke and all that was not became all that is in one moment because you spoke it. And I believe that you saw it before you spoke it. So Lord, all over this room today, speak. Let that same power that was talked about in Joel 2.28 and Acts chapter 2, let that same creative power 
be released in this house. Creative ways to reach the lost. Creative ways to get the addicted person off, out of, get the parasites out of their life. Creative ways for the shy person to become bold. And Lord, we just commit this whole word, this day, this house, everything that you've done today. We commit it into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.